The Ask Anatomist podcast is co-sponsored by the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University and by the American Association for Anatomy. Welcome to Ask Anatomist, a podcast for the medically curious. Today's episode, can you breathe easy? I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Lazarus, an associate professor in the Center for Human Anatomy Education in the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University. Just before we get started, I want to remind our audience that the following episode is for informational and educational purposes only. Discussions that take place do not replace consultation with your medical health professional nor the prescriptions provided by them. Please consult a medical professional before adapting to your own circumstance anything you hear on this podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to today's episode. We'll be talking about e-cigarettes, vaping, and the respiratory system. I've got a great interdisciplinary team to discuss this topic. Would everybody like to take a moment to introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Jane. I'm a pharmacologist who does research into lung diseases, and I'm particularly interested in how e-cigarettes might affect your lungs. My name's Dr. Daniel Hussey. I'm a doctor that works in medical departments in some hospitals in Melbourne and is an anatomy demonstrator in Monash University. G'day there, my name is Chris and I am an interested community member. There are a lot of articles in the media at the moment about the teen vaping epidemic and the controversy about whether e-cigarettes are doing more harm than good. What exactly is all this hype about? Well, you're right, there definitely is a lot of hype. And that's because everybody's concerned about the health effects of cigarette smoking. So the idea was that e-cigarettes might be a safer and cleaner way to inhale nicotine, and they might also help people give up smoking. Going back to the start, the idea of having smokeless, non-tobacco cigarettes was first patented back in the 60s by Herbert Gilbert from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And the first actual e-cigarette was developed only in 2003 by a Chinese pharmacist, Hon Lick, whose father died of lung cancer. So really, we've come a long way since 2003 in terms of all the publicity and about the use of e-cigarettes in the community. So what exactly are the stats around smoking or e-cigarettes at the moment? According to WHO data in the past 20 years, the number of people smoking has gone down by about 40 million. But currently worldwide, there's still over a billion people smoking. Use of vapes globally has skyrocketed from around 7 million in 2011 to around 40 million today. Are there known statistics for the use of these products in Australia? Yes, there actually is. In Australia, the National Drug Strategy Household Survey carried out a survey on people over the age of 18 and younger, according to their substance use, including alcohol, tobacco and e-cigarettes. They found that there's almost a quarter of a million people using e-cigarettes in Australia. Some of those people are ex-smokers who used to smoke and just use e-cigarettes. And some of those people are even new smokers who are just using e-cigarettes and have never smoked before. Do e-cigarettes actually contain nicotine? Around the world, yes, e-liquid contains nicotine. But in Australia, there's legislation that's actually made it legal to buy or sell liquid that contains nicotine. The e part of e-cigarettes, I'm guessing, means electronic. But how does this actually work? Because traditionally you have a cigarette, you light it, the substance is burning and you're kind of breathing in the smoke. What is the difference between the two? 
E-cigarettes and vapes refer to the device used for vaping. So an e-cigarette is a closed device that you load in your capsule that may or may not contain nicotine and it's vaporized into a vapor which is then inhaled. The only difference between an e-cigarette and a vaping device is a vape has got a big chamber and looks robotic and you physically pour your electronic smoking liquid into that to inhale it. I've walked past people who've been using these devices and have noticed that sometimes the smell coming out of it smells kind of nicer than you would from a typical cigarette. Why do they smell different? When people are smoking e-cigarettes, usually the smell you get is kind of related to nicotine tobacco, which is traditional or menthol flavor. Those are the closed systems. However, when people smoke the vapes, you can pick whatever flavor you want from butter to birthday cake to mojito or blueberries. So that's the nice smell that you're smelling is people mixing and matching their own liquids for whatever desire they want. So it sounds like they're really targeting young people with the different flavors that are being made available. But what impact is this having on their system? So the main system we're focusing on when we're discussing this topic is the respiratory system. Let's take a moment and review what the normal respiration is and the anatomy around that, and then we'll be able to highlight some aspects that the e-cigarettes and vaping affect. Respiration, or breathing, is a collaborative event between visceral structures, also known as organs, and bony structures and muscles. The primary organ involved with breathing is, on a macro level, the lungs. The lungs connect through a tube-like structure known as the trachea, the windpipe, to the outside world through our oral cavity via our mouth or our nasal cavity through our nose. The preferred route for getting air into our lungs is actually through our nasal cavity because we have anatomical structures and cells here which help humidify or moisten and warm the air. These turbinates have a great vascular supply or blood supply, which helps in this process of warming and moistening air. This is actually why nosebleeds are so bloody. Once the air is brought into the body through these external openings, the air travels through a region known as the pharynx, which actually means windpipe or throat. The air then travels down, or inferior, through this trachea. The trachea differs from the other collecting tube here, the esophagus, sometimes referred to as the gullet, because the trachea has hard, cartilaginous rings, which help keep it open. Just before entering the lungs, the trachea divides into the primary bronchi, and as the pipe enters the lungs, continues to divide into secondary and tertiary bronchi. The best analogy for this division is a tree. The trunk is the trachea, and the bronchi are the branches, which keep dividing. Near the end of each of these branches are many leaves. Here, for us, this would be the location of alveoli, which are air sacs. This is a location where there are tons of little capillaries or thin-walled vessels which surround these leaves or alveoli. Thus, we have vessels or blood in close communication with our air sacs. Once the air reaches those air sacs, it actually gets into the blood because the alveoli are surrounded by the tiniest blood vessels we have called capillaries. And so that means this is a really important part of our lungs so that we get the oxygen we need to live. The alveoli and the capillaries are part of what's referred to as the lower respiratory system, and the trachea is part of the upper respiratory system. So, of course, it's the lower respiratory tract where the gas exchange occurs. These people that are using the vapes, they're breathing in this liquid into their lungs. What's this going to do? While vaping is a great example, every time we breathe in, we are breathing in more than just air and putting our airway at risk for infections, viruses, bacteria, etc. 
So the cell types that we'll find in the upper respiratory system will actually help prevent transit of these viruses past the upper respiratory system into the lower respiratory system, which is where our critical gas exchange occurs. One cell type present in the airway is the ciliated pseudostratified columnar epithelium. Sadly, this isn't a phrase from Mary Poppins. It's a specialized upper respiratory cell type that has cilia. These cilia act as little brooms which help sweep particles or viruses or bacteria away from the lower respiratory system. Nearby goblet cells, named because they look like cups, help secrete mucus. Together, the mucus helps trap foreign objects while the cilia push them away from the rest of the respiratory tract. Another cell type present in the respiratory system is known as a macrophage, which are big eaters. They help eat any virus or particle that might not make it out through the sweeping and the mucus pathway. These protective mechanisms are actually impaired in smokers. Cigarette smoking damages the cilia so it doesn't beat as well as it did before. It also increases the number of mucus-producing goblet cells, and this mucus can contribute to the smoker's cough. So we've all heard of a smoker's cough. Smoker's cough is your body compensating for these destroyed defense mechanisms. Therefore, smokers are at increased risk of getting infections in the respiratory tract. We know that smoking leads to cancer, and we've just learned that it actually increases your risk of infection. But what other diseases are likely to come from this? So a common disease that smokers get is one called COPD. So this mnemonic stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's a chronic, long-lasting, lifelong condition with no cure, but it's a treatable condition. I'm confused. How can this be both irreversible and treatable? So there's no cure for COPD, but we can manage the symptoms associated with the disease. Could you expand on COPD as well as the symptoms that are treatable? COPD is essentially destruction of the airways from exposure to noxious fumes. Smoking is the most common cause of COPD, along with occupational exposure such as paints and other noxious fumes, and genetic conditions such as alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which is a mouthful. So these noxious exposures to our lungs cause the different symptoms of COPD. Emphysema is a word we might have heard of before. Emphysema is destruction of those alveolar sacs, those air sacs at the end of your lungs involved in gas exchange. COPD also involves chronic bronchitis, which is chronic inflammation of your airways. And if you want more information on inflammation, we encourage you to check out podcast number seven. What exactly are the signs and symptoms of COPD? The most common signs and symptoms of COPD involve a cough or a smoker's cough, as we've already discussed. The patient will also be very breathless and may appear cyanotic, having pale or blue skin or mucous membranes. You can also notice that COPD patients tend to breathe much quicker, which is called tachypnea, and they can breathe so quickly that they have to use their secondary muscles of respiration. These muscles include those neck muscles known as scalenes. So if you see somebody that's struggling to breathe, you'll notice that their neck muscles start to pop out. Other signs and symptoms of COPD involve being tired, having recurrent chest infections, some chest tightness, and you might also see them having a CO2 retention flap, which is their hands bouncing up and down if held in an outstretched manner. If the patient is breathless, that sounds very similar to asthma. Could they not just use a puffer to help them breathe and open up the airways? Well, actually, bronchodilators, the drugs that we use to open the airways in asthma, are used to treat COPD, but they're not nearly as effective. In fact, if you measure the increase in the airflow going into the lungs in a patient with COPD after they have one of those drugs, they show very little improvement at all. 
This is because people in COPD aren't having an asthma attack where their airways narrow. It's more that the structural changes that have happened in their lungs just make it harder for them to breathe. What about in the case of bronchitis where it's more an inflammation? Can we take some kind of anti-inflammatory drug to help with that? Again, anti-inflammatories are really useful drugs in asthma, but the type of inflammation occurring in the lungs in COPD actually involves different cell types that steroids, the drugs that we use for asthma, are not able to target as well. So the ones in asthma are called eosinophils, and we've talked about macrophages as being important inflammatory cells in COPD, but there is another cell type called neutrophils that are increased in the airways in COPD, and these ones, steroids, are not very effective at inhibiting those cells either. From a microanatomy perspective, what we're actually looking at is a complete change in the cell type that exists in those that are suffering from COPD, and that's actually inhibiting or altering how we can treat the illness. The other problem is that we've got tissue destruction around the airways that happens in COPD that we don't see in asthma. Given that we can't treat these two key symptoms, what do you use to help people with COPD? Even though those drugs aren't effective, they are the best drugs that we have available to treat COPD. But the main piece of advice that we give to those people who suffer from COPD is to please stop smoking. Because smoking will just continue this tissue destruction and cause the symptoms to become worse and worse as we destroy more of the lungs. We know now that we should stop smoking, but does that mean we should be vaping instead? The jury's still out on that one. Vaping's only been around since around 2003, so there's very limited long-term data outcomes on the effects of vaping on the body. The medical community, before taking an official stance in backing whether vaping is good or bad, really has to rely on data, which we simply don't have. Well, we all know that evidence-based medicine is really important, but it is often based on basic research done in animal models And I know that there have been a number of studies coming out lately where they've used mice instead of people to look at the effects of e-cigarettes. And in fact, e-cigarette aerosols have been given to mice and shown to cause inflammation and impaired lung function, suggestive of the development of symptoms that would occur in COPD. The outcomes of that research thus sound very similar to the research evidence we have behind smoking. So essentially the symptoms appear, at least in these studies, to be the same with vaping and smoking. And at least in some of these studies, the vaping that they've used has contained nicotine. So it is very similar to real cigarettes. It definitely seems to indicate these e-cigarettes are not safe. Are there any other risks that we should know about? So other risks associated with vaping can be found in other mouse studies done last year where e-liquid was applied onto cells in mice models. And in these experiments, it was found that the e-liquid damaged the DNA in the mice cells. Damage to DNA like this can lead to cancer in the lungs, bladder and heart of these mice models, which might also translate into humans. Other well-reported risks of vaping don't really involve the inhalation of the fumes. Other risks involved in vaping involve the actual vape itself. There's been numerous case reports, and I myself have even seen several cases of exploding vapes involving battery malfunctions, where people's faces and mouths have been severely burned, and even their airways have been burned from inhalation of the explosion. Last year, a man in Texas unfortunately had his vape explode, and shrapnel pierced his carotid artery, causing him to bleed out. It's clear that these things have more risks associated with them than would seem at face value. But do they actually help you to give up traditional smoking? Well, we've already heard that there are a number of young people who are taking up e-cigarettes and vaping who've never smoked before. 
One trial showed that the number of people giving up smoking using e-cigarettes was actually higher than using nicotine replacement therapy. A study in the UK has also shown that looking at smokers using e-cigarettes who are planning to quit versus those who were not planning to quit, there was actually no difference in whether they did quit. Thanks, everybody, for their time today devoted on this really important and potentially controversial topic of vaping and e-cigarettes. Thanks again for listening. As always, we want to remind you that relationships matter, at least the anatomical ones. Don't forget to head over to our website, askanatomist.com, for more episodes and links to resources. And follow us on Twitter. So if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, don't hesitate to ask anatomist and use the hashtag anatq.